Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Beginners to stage, beginners to stage. How many times have I said not to touch the cross? Da, 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 da. 
Hello everyone and welcome to this week's Backstage at Cry Havoc. I am your host, Laurie Ann Davis, she, her, and today we are going to be talking about directing the show and joining me today is a voice you should know by now, Amani Zado. Amani, would you like to introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about what you do on Cry Havoc and give us your pronouns. Hey, I am Amani. I'm the director on Cry Havoc and my pronouns are she, her. Fantastic. It was impossible to guess that, I think, given the title of the show and that there are just two of us on this episode. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. I would like to talk about directing the show and maybe we could start by having a bit of context about you and what your background is in directing like how did you get into it what do you usually do sure my background is actually as an actor uh I trained as an actor and started making short film projects as a means of just getting my acting work out there but very quickly I just started to feel like I don't want to be in front of the camera I want to be seeing what's Ah. happening behind the camera and I did one short film where I was a small part on camera a small character and also directing it and I was just not happy whenever I wasn't behind the camera so I thought okay well let's pursue this a little further and went on from there so made a bunch of short films that went to festivals and got nominations and a couple of awards and oh yay yeah did pretty good and yeah I make uh, short films for my old drama school also as part of their BA actors graduating film project it's a new new thing that was introduced just a few years ago literally just before covid um so that felt like quite a big step for a theatre drama school to start including a short film project as part of their final year graduating shows. Yeah. Which I think is a great idea, to be honest. Not because I get paid to do it, but because I think you graduate with an actual showreel that yeah. casting directors and, and directors and producers can see, you know, what you look and sound like. Anyway, so yeah, that's that's kind of my background. And off the back of that came onto this. This is my first audio directing project. That makes so much sense to me that you trained as an actor. <laughs> I think, and this isn't like a qualitative judgment on directors, but you know, I think there are different kinds of directors, right? Where they focus on different things. And mm. I would very much say that you are very character and actor driven, yeah. which I, who, also an actor, love because <laughs> you feel very like yes let's try this thing and yeah that makes a lot of sense to me that's really nice that you found a love of it in that way I think yeah it's funny actually because my parents for so long were like I don't think you're an actor you're a director <laughs> and I was like no I'm not I'm an actor I don't want to direct and it, I wish I'd <laughs> I wish I'd realized it sooner but I think it's all for the best in the end actually because I went through all this training and I actually worked for several years as an actor in stage and film and TV. So I feel like I got real experience. I know very well what it's like to be on the other side. And I think that gives me, it just means that I I know how to talk to actors. Yeah, that's a good grounding. (laughs) Yeah. And it is hilarious, yeah, that your parents spotted that. But I guess you do need to find these things out in your own time, don't you? You can't (laughs) just be like, okay, I'll do what you say. Very true. I will take us to Cry Havoc. Mm Mm-hmm. And especially considering this is your first audio production to record, I'll start with a big question. Where do you start directing a show this big? (laughs) (laughs) 
you start with a script. You start with a story. I feel really lucky that I was able to join the project so early on. And and to jump in and clarify, just in case someone's listening to this who hasn't listened to other backstage episodes, Amani came on very early and was working on the scripts with David, right? And not didn't just come on as a director. No, that's right. So there was a Bible, there was a, a pilot script, but there wasn't anything else. We knew that it was going to be a 20-episode series. We knew that we were going to have a writer's room. David had put together a skeletal structure of the overall series, which gave us, yeah, like real kind of roadmap, as it were, through the arc of the series. And from there, we worked together figuring out what it was exactly that we wanted to say in the show, how best we thought we could use the time that we have. It was the first time that I'd ever worked on such a, a long story also. I mean, my background is very much short stories. I'd done one like web series, which I actually didn't direct. I acted and produced and, and co-wrote. So working on a project that was like, okay, this is 20 episodes. We've got time to like tell real story like what are we gonna do yeah <laughs> I would say that's where you start <laughs> and I imagine it was very helpful to be so involved in the writing process were you thinking about how we were going to direct it from early on well so I, I was definitely thinking about like the story arc and where we were going with the series I feel like one of the most important things that I was able to give David was just kind of offer an outside, uh, like a pretty consistent outside eye. You know, I mean, David is so focused and, you know, uh, precise in his work, but kind of like offering that sort of creative vision, like where are we going? What's our destination? Yeah. And so being able to be part of figuring out exactly what that is and what that looks like, of course, is just so helpful then when you get to actually directing from every aspect of direction, from working with the actors, you know, from even like casting, like which actors are we going to cast to best tell this story the way that we've planned it out? How am I going to direct them? What kind of performances am I going to get out of them? How are we going to build this audio world to best portray the world that we're creating and the story that we're trying to tell? It sounds like you've kind of got a real sweet spot there of... You, you come in as a fresh pair of eyes very early on, but also it's early enough that then the story is like in your bones. Totally. I actually think that's absolutely right because David had obviously been working on this story for some time. I know he'd been wanting to write a show about these characters and around this, this time period for a while. And so it had been percolating in his mind for definitely a couple of years, if not more. So yeah, I definitely came in fresh. Also, it was so different to anything that I'd done before, even in terms of story. I mean, my my work up till this project was very much female-focused, uh, very contemporary. And so being able to offer a different perspective on these historical figures, often very kind of male-focused, uh, and being able to offer another eye also on the female characters and, and the other characters that are, that are sort of less well-documented in history. Yeah. You've spoken a few times about the end goal or like keeping an eye on what we're aiming for. Mm -hmm. Can I ask you a bit about like, what was that? What was your guiding vision? Uh, it was like multiple things, to be honest. There were things that were always important to me that I saw quite early on in David's writing 
there's a lot of humor in his writing. There's so much comedy there. But there's also a huge amount of heart. And I think that was something that I was like, okay, this is a balance that we have to walk throughout the series and make sure that it doesn't just become like joke, joke, joke. So yeah, so so there was that aspect, which was like, okay, tonally, we want to make sure that we're really nailing this balance in David's style of like comedy and, and heart. And there were themes also that were important to us. Class is, you know, important to us, but also like how we handle these big themes, you know, a class in injustice, inequality. David is very adamant always that he wants to touch on these subjects, but he doesn't want to ram them down an audience's throat. He doesn't want to do it in a way that could possibly come across as, you know, self-righteous or preachy in any way. And he's so good at finding ways to convey those themes in a way that's either fun or, you know, kind of heartfelt. So yeah, so just making sure always that those themes are continuing through, that that we're consistent, that we're definitely following those stories right across to the end yeah I was gonna ask you like what is your role as a director I think I've got some hints from what you just said there yeah I would say kind of like offering a sort of consistent creative vision across every stage of the process so yeah that was the initial stage uh with David and then obviously we had these brilliant writers come on uh and and make up our our writers room and uh David was mostly the point of contact with them but I was still reading all the scripts and sending thoughts to David and then I mean I think it, every project is different right and it depends what yeah. kind of resources you have Um, So on this one, I ended up taking on a lot of the casting director role as well, um, working my way through submissions and figuring out like what the cast was going to look like. Then we go through production as in the actual recording process, working with the actors right through to right now. I'm still I have so many friends who are like, aren't you done with the show now? And I'm like, no, 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 no. (laughs) You are nearly though, right? Yeah, I am. Oh, yeah. I'm on the last four episodes this week right now. I honestly, I don't know what I'm going to do when it ends. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I yeah, I handed in my last edit for it last week and was like oh oh my gosh of course i'm really enjoying this 19 right yeah yeah actually i might kind of hop us back a tiny bit to something you said there about working with the actors Mm. and i was interested in how you go about directing a scene and like i was sat in as producer on some of the recordings and really enjoyed watching it oh and was an actor and was directed by you as well actually (laughs) um forgot about that Yeah, how do you go about directing a scene? It's funny. I feel like as a director who's had experience of being an actor, I'm aware that directors can be annoying. (laughs) You don't want them to be vague and you also don't want them to be overly pedantic yeah and so you know in thinking about how how am I going to get the best performances out of this cast that's something that I take into consideration like and also every actor is different so different actors need different things I think I feel like actually this goes for every aspect of directing it's really important to know when to just take a step back and like not get involved because mm. it's perfect. It's like good. It's good. You don't need to, to do anything else to it. So when I'm like prepping my scenes and this became easier as we were going through the process, as I got to know that actors better, I started to get a good idea of like, okay, you know, Beth is going to know how to do this bit. I don't need to make a note about 
this section about how mm. I would like it to be because I know she's going to do it like that. Or, oh, Kazim is, uh, is, I don't know about anything to say about Kazim right now. I'm going to cut, cut that <laughs> sidestep. <laughs> I actually I have one that I remember you gave me an, a note on my editing and you're like do we have a take where Kasim uses it you know that voice where he's kind of like a bit quivery and I was like I know exactly what you mean <laughs> <laughs> and I I will look to see if we have a take like that yeah it's funny with Kasim actually often I would be like can you do this line in that like kind of high-pitched end of your voice the way you do that and he would be like yeah I know what you mean <laughs> like, and then he would do it and I'd be like yes exactly that's I mean that's Thank you. probably any other director that's listening to this right now is like are you joking that is awful directing <laughs> um, as a one-off I think every now and then when you're like try it this way <laughs> I mean the thing is like the thing is, when you don't have a lot of time, there's mm. a balance, right? When you don't have a lot of time and you know what you want and you know the effect that you want to get. And also, you know, we don't have a rehearsal process. So it, it, on my yeah. other projects, I have always had really extensive rehearsal time. And so everybody knows kind of the full range of what they're going to do going into shoot days. Whereas on this, I, I did feel like I had to be a little bit more prescriptive, partly because I was more familiar with the project and the characters than the, than the actors yeah. were because they hadn't had as much time with the scripts as I had. I mean, I'm pretty sure yeah. we got like final, final drafts like three days before we started recording, something like that. So, wow. you know, yeah. so there was that aspect where it was like, okay, well, I'm, I am the person in the room that knows these characters the best and I know how they need to interact with each other. And I know how we're going to keep this consistent. And so there were aspects, which I don't know, maybe it was really frustrating for the actors where I was having to be a little bit more prescriptive. But yeah, I've kind of meandered from the point of like prep to like in the room now. Yeah, that was that was my bad. I no, took which is, to Kazim's no, specific which is, voice tone. Which is all good. So yeah, I mean, when I'm prepping, I'm just, I'm kind of, th I'm thinking like, what is the point of this scene which is something that I would have thought through like every draft of, of the writing process like what is the point of the scene who has the power where are the pivots what are the strategies like what are the strategies that I might suggest or encourage the actors to think about in order to achieve or to get something from their acting partner so if I know that in this scene Gaius is really irritating Mark and he's not trying to be irritating right I'm not going to tell him like mm. try to be irritating so I think about different strategies like you know he's trying to leave and you're not going to let him leave so talk over him and block him on every angle and or patronize him can you try like talking down to him and that's going to like rub Mark up the wrong way things like that and then when we get into the room, I would always do like a first take, like a free take. Because sometimes the actors end up doing like the things that I've noted, as I've said earlier, and I don't have to give them those notes, right? So we do an initial take. We all get to see the lay of the land. It gives them time to like re-familiarize themselves with the scene if they haven't read it for a while. And it allows me to kind of make a note of like, oh, okay, yeah, they didn't hit this beat. Um, they did hit that beat. Uh, I'll make... I'll direct them this way or that. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I would actually love to hear another director like break stuff down like this because I don't know yeah. if like everyone does this or I mean, I know that there, there are some things like, you know, thinking about objectives and thinking about strategies and how to work, how to get something. I mean, that's very like actor work based also, right? Like yeah, it is. thinking about actions like I am going to teach you on this line in order to really irritate you or whatever. So, yeah, I guess my, my acting background has, like, influenced my directing work 
a lot. Yeah. And having witnessed you direct several times as well, I would say you give so much space for actors to play as well. Oh, thank and, you. you know, it's not, <laughs> That's you, you know, if there is the odd one where you're like, oh, maybe try it this way. Because you're like, I know I want it like this. So give it to me like this. And then we can try other things as well. For sure. And I mean, I think also with like comedy, like sometimes sometimes with comedy it is just quite prescriptive like sometimes it is Mm. as simple as like I will just say can you emphasize this word in the line and then they'll do it and 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 then it's so funny also because that I will see the actor like do the line in their head and then they laugh (laughs) (laughs) and then I'm like yeah exactly so but you know sometimes when you're in it you're you you're not like it's hard to break it down you know when you're just doing the performance so yeah, it's like anything. It's just that outside pair of eyes to give a little guidance. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's very, very helpful. <laughs> Shall we move a little bit into talking about your role in post-production, which I think we've covered a little more in other episodes, yeah. but it might be worth being specific about directing here. Yeah. What was your role? So I feel like it's actually very similar to directing short films. In a very concrete way, I... Like quite early on at the start of post-production, we had a meeting with a whole team where I kind of walked them through like, again, the vision for the show that I wanted it to sound, you know, as authentic as possible, but also with like an emphasis on the story, on the humor and what was happening. And can I just clarify there by team, you mean the editing team? I mean the editing team. Yeah. 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 Because I think it didn't seem like this was the project to get like seriously bogged down with historical accuracy. So there are some places where we take liberties and often it's to benefit like or to lean into the comedy, uh, for example. So yeah. And then I went away and April the exec producer on the show had asked me to fill out this like sound design document and I kind of like to this day don't know I mean I'd really like to ask the editors how helpful it actually was I'm really really pleased that I have no idea and I couldn't possibly answer that because I don't know (laughs) I would really like to know if I was just writing stuff that they were like well yeah obviously Amani (laughs) or if it was like okay cool yeah that's helpful to know I don't have to make this decision now I feel like I'm the way I thought about it was like I'm providing like a first set of decisions so that they can just kind of like get on with it quite quickly rather than because actually it takes a lot of time like it took me a a long time to fill out the sound design document and I still haven't done episode 20 it's literally on my to-do list and I'm like oh my god Amani (laughs) do the double length finale (laughs) (laughs) but it takes time right to be like okay the scene heading in the script says that we are in Gaius's office what does Gaius's office look like how big do I think that this room is I know from Mm. you know working with our a uh, historical consultant, Dr. Emma Southern, you know, how big rooms might have been or what they might have sounded like. So we use that as a jumping off point. But actually, you know, we had to make some changes right from the beginning because, for example, with that, like Emma had said that the rooms are generally quite small so that in the winter time, when there isn't a lot of light, light doesn't have to travel that far. They can just have one oil lamp and the room ah. is lit. So actually a lot of the spaces were relatively small, unless you're talking about like the half external spaces, like the atrium. And so I was like, okay, yeah, but this can't sound like a cupboard, right? Like this is Gaius's office. Uh, he's like yeah. mega loaded. He's one of the triumvirs. Like it needs to sound. He can afford two lamps, you know? <laughs> exactly. Like it needs to sound large and luxurious. 
So, you know, it's things like that. I'm just like offering like an immediate kind of set of decisions, like a, a layout and a roadmap where they're like, mm. oh, okay. And then Lepidus walks in from this door. Let's place this door, uh, you know, on the left at a certain distance. You know, just so that they don't have to be like, well, where shall Lepidus come in from? I mean, it does make sense. You have all this knowledge, both from like the historical consultant and of the story. It's like, oh, here we go. Here's a little map. And then it becomes collaborative after that, right? Exactly. And then there were some things, you know, like some character decisions that I made. Like I decided quite early on that it would be really nice for Cleopatra to have a little bracelet, like some jewelry that that we recognize as hers uh, over time. And, you know, we thought a lot about like, uh, you know like things like uh physicality like footsteps oh my god footsteps <laughs> i remember those conversations i wasn't part of them but i witnessed them yeah there were a lot of conversations about footsteps mark antony has to sound like a big strong athletic man you know yeah. and and gaius has to sound different <laughs> um yeah and charmian is is going to sound different to cleopatra you know so all of those decisions, like I was starting to make a lot of those. And then obviously there's, there's discussion with the editors, uh, with, uh, with, all, with all of them. Like, what do you think? Is this possible? Like how much detail do we need about, the, you know, to do with this, to make this clear? Another thing that was like really important to me coming from a film background, actually less to do with a film background. I think this is just who I am as a person. I'm, I'm a very visual person. I find it hard to listen to things without seeing them also and mm. so it was really important to me that the blocking of the space and the locations was super clear and on top of that that all of the blocking that the characters are doing was really really clear so so we can hear exactly like oh, okay i can visualize this if i close my eyes like yeah this character is coming in at this pace and from this place and they're moving to this corner of the space <laughs> you know so that was something that i felt really <laughs> conscious that i just didn't want our audiences to feel lost at any time yeah and there are so many characters in this show. So it felt like really important. There are so many characters in this show. Yes, there are. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, that feels like a nice place to ask you how did directing audio compare to directing film? <laughs> were there any preconceived notions you had that were disabused or confirmed? Oh, yeah. Uh Yes, I thought it was going to be like pretty impossible to do subtext on audio. Ah, interesting. But actually, I think we managed it. <laughs> this was one of the things that I thought a lot about going into recording because I was like, how are we going to do subtext? Like, I'm, we can't see them. And actually, yeah, I feel like it, it worked out really well. We kind of, I mean, let me think about how to break it down. Like, what did we do? Um, I think I would ask the <laughs> actors to like, I mean, a, a lot of the time they would do, you know, you guys were doing this like naturally where you'd be like, I don't know, I guess it sounds like a lie, maybe was one way of saying it. Like, mm. you'd be like, oh, yes, I'm so happy to do this. Like, obviously, the subtext is very obvious there. Other times it might be more in like, I mean, I might even give like a technical note, like, oh, when you do that line, could you just like really soften your voice, become super intimate? And then even though maybe you're saying something quite harsh, like there's a different undertone or whatever. Yeah. Or I think I would, yeah, I would just direct them the same way that I would direct on film where I would be like, and see if it came across in the voice. And I feel like it did come across in the voice. So yeah, so that was something that I was like, that was like a preconceived notion that then that was disabused that we figured out. I would say the like, main what are the differences between 
I mean, there are so many differences, right? Like, yeah. I remember even just like getting yeah. into post, like one of the things that I was like, oh my God, this is so hard. Like, you know, like <laughs> sound effects that are what they actually are, but don't sound like what they are. I don't know, like liquid in a bottle hitting the back of the bottle. And instead of it sounding like liquid in a bottle, suddenly it sounds like I have a bucket and someone's throwing a pebble into the bucket. And, and I, you know, and I'm like, oh, I remember when we started the process, I was just like, oh, this is so hard. Like in film, you just have a bucket and, or a bottle. You just have a bucket. You can see that it's a bucket. Yeah, you can see that it's a bucket or a bottle and you just, re- you just stick the microphone at it and it records it, you know, and you have the authentic sound. Like here it's like, we have to figure out how to make it sound like this. It was, you know, that was definitely like a, a challenge where I was like, oh my God, this is so hard. <laughs> Just push that gently to Katie, Meg and Kathy. There you go. Yeah, just like, ah, how do we make this sound like what we need it to sound? But also sometimes I'd be like, this doesn't sound like what it's meant to sound like. And they'd be like, what do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> like it just sounded different to me. <laughs> but they're always really great at being like, okay, let's see what we can do. We can like, I don't know. And then they'd go off and do some like techie wizardry. And, and I'd be like, yeah, that sounds fantastic now. <laughs> great. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I tried to bring across as much as I could from film into this project. I really wanted it to be as cinematic as possible, which I think Mm. probably lots of people are trying to do on podcasts. So it's not necessarily anything special. But yeah, I think kind of really giving that 360 experience and also the way that we use music for me felt very much like something that I brought across from film, which from the, the podcast shows that I listened to when I was doing my research for this project felt like something that didn't really happen that much. So that felt like something that was quite different that I was like, oh, OK, I feel like we could do something different and and cool and new using this resource. Yeah, I don't know. I, does that answer the question? Yeah, that answers the question. Absolutely. I've got <laughs> a, a sense of what it was like and more similar than you would think. I think it was the takeaway that I, I had there. Like definitely differences, of course, and technical differences, but yeah, in terms of what you're thinking about. For yeah. sure. <laughs> I'm going to wrap us there because we're coming to time. One final question. Yeah. Would you do it again? <laughs> Absolutely. I definitely Excellent. would. <laughs> you had to say that. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Is there anything you'd like to plug? Yeah, I have been directing this show called Cry Havoc, Ask Questions Later, and we are almost, almost coming up to the final quarter of the series, which is uh, a great quarter. It just gets better and better. Mm. So uh, I encourage you to go and listen to it and tell your friends. Yeah, do that. Excellent. Well done. (laughs) Great. Well, Amani, thank you so much for joining me again. I really enjoyed this. I'm sure the audience at home will as well. I basically just had loads of questions I wanted to ask you. So (laughs) thank you for indulging me. (laughs) Thank you, Laurie. Yeah, I'll see you next week, everyone. And I guess we'll say goodbye. It's been so long since I've done this. (laughs) Goodbye. Backstage at Cry Havoc is a podcast distributed by Rusty Quill and licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International License. It is directed by Armani Zardo, produced by Laurie Ann Davis, with executive producers Alexander J. Newell and April Sumner. This episode was edited by Laurie Ann Davis and Catherine Vanella. Thanks for listening.
Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.